You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you. We're going to do herd mentality today in addition to a segment at the very end of the podcast that will exist every single Friday from now until the end of the college football season. I'm going to give you some Buffalo Bills NFL draft prospects to watch. Guys that have big matchups this weekend that I think are fits for the Buffalo Bills at positions of need. And so I'll give you the first three names later in the podcast today, and that'll be a staple for our Friday discussions throughout the course of the season. And that way you'll get familiar with some of the NFL draft prospects that really do fit the bills. And you can get a chance to get familiar with them now, as opposed to trying to cram it all in in the months before the NFL draft. But the meat and potatoes of today's podcast is herd mentality. The weekly episode where you take control of what we discuss by sending in questions, comments, concerns, takes, whatever you have regarding the Buffalo Bills, and I respond to them here on the podcast, and we are loaded with so many good talking points to get into. Let's get started. First one comes from Alex. Alex says, you've mentioned a few times this offseason that the Bills' best chance of improving this year is for a couple of their young players to take a big step forward in their development. Based on what we've seen in training camp and preseason, which player do you think is most likely to take the biggest step? My candidates would be Gabriel Davis, A.J. Epinesa, and crazy enough, Josh Allen. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, which player do you think might have plateaued? All right, so as for my breakout players, the guys that I really do feel like are going to take that step this year and provide that increased level of play that will make the Bills a better team, and I really appreciate you referencing something that I've said a lot this offseason and that the most significant thing that can happen this year for the Bills to be a better football team than they were last year is for the young players to take a step forward. And so the guys that I really feel comfortable with as breakout players, I will say Gabriel Davis, A.J. Epinesa, and Devin Singletary. I think I have seen differences in the way they played in my exposures to them this offseason than what they were last year and I have optimism that they will take that next step. On the plateau side of things, Cody Ford. I'm nervous about Cody Ford. I think he's been okay. I don't think he's done anything that completely dismisses the idea that Ike Bakker could be the starting right guard or that it could be a rotation. And so that's the guy right now that I am most concerned may have plateaued. The next one comes from David who says, Can you explain how including a fullback to the run game changes the run game? It's a good question as we anticipate Reggie Gilliam serving as the team's fullback. And I will say that I would guess a large percentage of the Bills' rushing plays this year will come without a fullback. But sometimes they will include a fullback, and the main difference is simply that you have a lead blocker. And this doesn't necessarily signal that Because the Bills are going to use a fullback, that the run scheme will be more gap man-blocking schemes. You can still utilize a fullback in zone runs as well. And I think they are just as valuable in zone rushing as in man-gap power schemes. 
and just think about the entire concept of zone blocking and you're responsible for an area. Now you introduce a fullback into this overall concept and it increases the offensive line's margin for error because if someone manages to slip through and get into the backfield, you now have that fullback that can help pick up the slack and take away that penetration. And so I don't think it does anything but help and add a layer to what the Bills want to accomplish this year in the run game. Now, David had a follow-up. He said, if you had to pick either three Super Bowl wins in your lifetime versus one 20-0 season, which would you choose? David says, 20-0 for me, that's iconic and will be remembered forever and may never happen again. Also, I'd be an insufferable Bills fan for the rest of my life. I got to disagree with you. I'm taking the three Super Bowl wins. I think uh, having that many different seasons where it ends in a Bills Super Bowl sounds more appealing to me than just one where the Bills happen to win every game. So, yeah, I'm I'm here for the three Super Bowls as opposed to just the one, even if it does include an undefeated season. Brother Hezekiah says, Do you think Shaq Lawson could make the Bills' current roster? I saw the news about his trade to the Jets, and the question popped into my head. Yeah, I do think that Shaq Lawson could make the Bills' current roster. I think what would dismiss this idea is what he's being paid. I mean, when he left the Bills, he signed a three-year, $30 million deal. I don't think they would want to pay him that. So from a talent perspective, he's absolutely a rosterable player, even for the Bills. But when you factor in what he's being paid, that becomes something that is not of interest. But from a talent perspective, he's absolutely there. One thing that I will add when it comes to Shaq Lawson is that I believe the Bills are getting back a lot of what they lost in Shaq Lawson with the arrival of Boogie Basham. That inside-outside versatility, the run defense, the contain ability. I think that's going to be a major boost to the Bills' defensive line is picking up what they lost in Shaq Lawson with the arrival of Boogie Basham. Next one comes from Adam who says, Rewatching the first half of the Packers game, the Packers played a lot of soft defense often giving the Bills receivers an 8-10 to 10 yard cushion. Reminded me a lot of the Seahawks game last year in which we moved the ball at ease. My question has a few layers. If you are a defensive coordinator scheming against the Bills, what scheme and looks would you implement? Aside from what you would do, what do you expect from opposing defensive coordinators? And finally, if you were Brian Dable, how would you counter these defenses? Really good question here. I like this one. So I will start off by agreeing with you in that the Packers played a lot of soft defense. My wife and I were talking about that when we were watching the Bills' starting offense go against Green Bay, and we were picking up pre-snap reads as to where the Bills were going to have free access just based on the coverage spacing, and um, the Bills took full advantage of that. And so obviously that's not how you want to play the Bills. If I were crafting a game plan to go up against the Buffalo Bills' offense, it would include a very high emphasis on contain rush. I would do everything I possibly could to make sure that Josh Allen didn't leave the pocket. And I've even said this on the podcast. I would probably tell my defensive ends to not even try to tackle him. Just keep things compressed around him and and just keep working bodies back into his face 
because I think where some teams get in trouble is they think they're going to sack Josh Allen. He makes them miss, and all of a sudden, they don't have their rush lanes accounted for like they're supposed to, and Josh Allen crushes them, and he makes them pay. And so I would avoid that at all costs. I would try to keep Josh Allen contained within the pocket, and I would play a lot of cover two against the Bills. Two high safety shell, man coverage underneath. And I would disguise it the best I could. I would drop people back late. I would sometimes roll it into cover three. We do some quarters, but uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be super interested in running a lot of man. And uh, I would try to do my best to disguise what the coverage spacing is and really try to change the menu on Josh Allen from what he thinks it's going to be pre-snap to what he gets post-snap. Now, I would anticipate that other defenses this year are probably going to do a lot of that. I don't think you're going to run man coverage, zero blitz against the Bills that frequently. I think the Bills are going to get a lot of zone coverage. I think defenses are going to try to scheme pressure in the face of Josh Allen and force him to get the ball out of his hands quicker than he wants to. And I think you're going to get a fair amount of pressure from Josh Allen's right side where that spot where he likes to escape is going to be occupied by a blitzing defender. I think those are some of the things that you're going to get this year defensively against the Bills. Now, as far as what Brian Dable should do to counter these defenses, I think he needs to be mindful of it, but I wouldn't be that concerned. I would go do what you do. Space teams out and dare them to overload blitz. Space teams out and challenge their ability to space the field against your receivers and Josh Allen, who has access to the entire field and can run. I would dare them. I'd go empty. I'd go 10 personnel. I'd go 11 personnel and flex out my tight end. I'd do all that kind of stuff and say, all right, I don't think you can stop us. You don't have answers for what we can challenge you with. And so I think it's just about doing what they do, spacing the field, take advantage of really good skill players and a, an elite quarterback. The next one today comes from Joe. Joe says, six linebackers and Hamlin over Thomas. I can't help but wonder if we might see more 4-3 base defense this year with a big-bodied safety like Hamlin in the box with New England expected to be in 12 personnel and the AFC's talented tight ends and running offenses that the Bills would have to defend against in the playoffs. Do you think this could be true? Or do you think it will still be nickel as base defense nearly all the time? Curious on your thoughts. So, there's a chance that the Bills could play more base defense this coming year because of the style of offenses that they're going to play. But I don't know that we really get a clue based on keeping six linebackers and Hamlin over Thomas. I'm not sure that that's what I would cling to as my reason why. Now, when you look at the data over the last two years, the Bills have trended to more and more nickel defense. They were high in nickel defense in 2019. They were even higher in 2020. And the Bills are like the only team in the NFL that has a specific nickel coach. And so I do think that is what they want to be. And there's certainly a chance that the matchups are going to force the Bills to play a little bit more base. But I think that the Bills are going to want to score points and force you to try to score points with them. Put the pressure on you. And I think that's going to lead to more passing looks, which will lead to more nickel. And so while the Patriots, I'm sure, would love to 
shorten the game and run the football and put 12 personnel out there and try to go on 10, 15 play drives and take six, seven, eight minutes off the clock, the Bills are going to try to score a lot of points and say, all right, you better keep pace. And so I do think there is a bit of a cat and mouse dynamic that exists with those styles and you know, kind of dictating the type of game you want to play. Did you know that Bilt Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. They have coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, orange, cookies and cream, strawberry, salted caramel, and double chocolate. And look, maybe you don't know where to start and you want to try these flavors. Get yourself a mixed box. That's where you can get two of each of the nine flavors. Try them all and figure out which ones are your favorite. And not only are Built Bars the best tasting protein bar on the planet, they're healthy too. Check out these macros. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180. Only 4 to 5 grams of sugar and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. The flavors are amazing. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. I have a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use our promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. The next one today comes from Ryan who says, What do you think of Gabriel Davis's preseason? I realize he was going against mostly backups in the final preseason game, but his route running looked crisp, and going back to last year, he's proven he catches the ball with those big paws on a consistent basis. He's giving me legitimate wide receiver two vibes with the possibility to eat at Sanders snaps as the season goes on. Just wanted to get your thoughts. What a blessing it is to have an abundance of weapons to accommodate our stud quarterback. Yeah, Ryan, I was honestly very impressed with Gabriel Davis this preseason. And I was optimistic that he would develop, but I was a little down on him. And, you know, I thought he kind of faded down the stretch last year, had some drops down the stretch. They bring in Emmanuel Sanders, which was a signal to me that they didn't believe Davis was quite ready to be that featured number two receiver in this offense. But his preseason has been outstanding, and I do think that he has shown strides as a route runner, and I thought he looked very consistent catching the football. And so, yes, I am encouraged with Gabriel Davis. Sean McDermott spoke glowingly of him in his press conference on Thursday, and so obviously the team loves him. Josh Allen likes throwing him the football, and the role that he fills for the offense is just perfect for him, where his versatility is on display, and he gets a chance to threaten multiple levels of the field. And Josh Allen likes finding him when things break down and starting to trust him more within the rhythm of the offense. I think the arrow is definitely pointing up for Gabriel Davis, and my optimism towards him has absolutely increased after seeing him this preseason. Vin says, what do you think about our linebacker depth? Do you think the Bills have seen enough from Andre Smith to jump Klein when the defense goes to 4-3. And since you're a Mets fan, how do you feel about some of our star players stating that you need to do better? All right, so let's talk about the linebacker depth first. What's interesting is that linebacker depth was kind of an issue last year. And it was an issue not so much because of a lack of skill, but because of injuries. I mean, you had Milano, Edmonds, Dotson banged up. Delshawn Phillips made the team last year, and he was hurt. And so I just felt like so many guys got injured. And so 
while linebacker depth was an issue last year, it's pretty much the same guys. Same players that were here last year are back again. Your hope is that Dotson and Smith with another year in the system, they will be better equipped to play if necessary. And obviously they're another year into their career. But hopefully you don't see the same type of injuries at the top of the depth chart from Edmonds and Milano. So I do have more comfort in it this year, but that's probably because everyone's healthy right now. And as far as Andre Smith jumping Klein in base defense, I'm here for it. I think Smith brings more to the table. I think he's a more dynamic football player. But I'm not sure the team is going to agree with me. Predictively, I would think that they're going to continue to play Klein in base defense over Smith. But I'm always looking for the upside play. And to me, that's clearly playing Smith over Klein. Now, as for the New York Mets and a couple of the players choosing to uh, give the double thumbs down to the fans whenever they do something good, it's embarrassing. And I continue to be embarrassed as a New York Mets fan. And as the years continue to pile on of embarrassment, my appetite for the New York Mets is going down because baseball is not that great of a game. And I'm sorry if that offends you if you love baseball, but baseball is not a good enough game for me to be dialed in when my team is bad year after year. Now, if the Bills are bad, I'm still dialed in all season long. They could be mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, and I'm in. I'm watching every game. I care about every snap. But I just can't I can't be dialed into baseball when my team is bad, they do embarrassing things, and the season's so long. I mean, I, I tap out pretty quick in baseball when I realize that the Mets aren't going to be very good. The next one today comes from Dan. Dan says, who do you see being inactive on game days most games? I know it will vary a bit based on matchups, but I struggle to get down to 46 players based on talent. Some very skilled guys are not going to be dressing some Sundays. Good problem to have. It's a good question, and the good news is if you dress eight offensive linemen, you can have 48 active players, which means you only need five inactive players. And so I think Tommy Doyle, he'll be one of the inactive players every single week. I think one of the linebackers, Dotson or Smith, will be inactive. I think that you will see one running back, whether that's Matt Breida or Reggie Gilliam, one of them will be inactive. There's three. I think there's a good chance that one of the safeties is inactive, probably DeMar Hamlin. That's four. And then you have to get one more player to uh, to get down to 48. And I would probably go to the defensive tackle room where you're probably only going to dress four on any given week. And so you have five that are on your roster. And so I think between Butler and... Zimmer and Phillips, one of those is inactive. So one defensive tackle, one safety, one linebacker, Tommy Doyle, and one running back. Dan had a second question that is, anyone you wished we got onto our practice squad that we didn't? I thought it played out perfectly with perhaps the exception of swapping McLeod for Elijah Griffin. I thought Thomas outplayed Hamlin as well and was encouraged to see Cam Lewis and Isaiah Hodgins on there. I'll be honest with you, I'm really happy with the practice squad. Um, I was hopeful that the 16th member of the practice squad would be Jacob Hollister, 
but it ends up being Kahal Waring, which to me is just as good of a choice, and I'm excited to see that. And so I'll be honest with you, I don't think the practice squad could have taken shape any better. The next one comes from Jimmy, who says, how do you deal with uninformed football fans? Around my office, I hear the typical mumbo-jumbo. Defense wins championships. Bills need to draft a running back in the first round. Brian Dable is a poor play caller. Milano and Edmonds are poor in coverage. Duke Williams needs more playing time. Today, the talk in my office was Antonio Williams needs to make the 53 and confusion as to why Jacob Hollister was cut. I try to bite my tongue before it costs me my job, but it drives me crazy. All right, Jimmy. So I have some things that I wrote down in response to what you said here. First of all, we have to establish that everyone has a different level of football knowledge and not everybody loves football the same. And so because of that, you have some funky opinions and takes that exist out there. And so I think the first thing that you have to just establish off the bat is everybody has a different level of knowledge and care for the game. The next thing is when I am engaged in those conversations, I do my best to educate and explain the whys and see if I can help somebody learn and have a better understanding of the game. Then I think we have to try to keep perspective that football is supposed to be fun and knowledge of the game isn't required. And so while these are things you're probably passionate about, other people may not have that same level of passion, but they think football's fun and they like being a fan of the team and they like to put on the gear and root on the team, but they don't necessarily know everything about the game. And so don't let this frustrate you because football should be something that adds fun to your life. You know, like if the Bills losing a game causes you to be an emotional wreck, you probably need to check yourself and ask yourself some questions. If you get angry and you don't act the right way around your family and friends because the Bills make a mistake on the field, you probably need to ask yourself some questions. And so remember that football is supposed to be fun and make sure that it stays fun for you. I'm not saying don't be passionate, not saying don't care, not saying don't get upset when they do something wrong, but that can escalate to unhealthy levels. And so just make sure that it stays fun for you. And then the last thing that I wrote down is that I don't actually engage in a lot of face-to-face football conversations. You know, most of my football talk is done just like this, where I'm talking into a microphone, staring at a computer that's up against a wall. There's no, there's nobody in front of me. I know that there's thousands of you listening to the podcast, but you know, I, I'm not necessarily getting that immediate response back to the things that I say, or I'm on the radio, or I'm talking with Kyle Krabs on the Draft Dudes podcast or on a live stream, stuff like that. I don't necessarily have a lot of face-to-face conversations with other human beings. I do with my family, close friends, stuff like that. But as far as like small talk at the office, I don't really expose myself to that. And so maybe the best thing you can do if this drives you crazy is uh, put your AirPods in and fire up the Locked On Bills podcast and we'll have good football conversations here every single day. I promise you that. The next one today comes from Corey. Corey says, I was curious if you knew why the NFL has the roster size of 53 players, but teams can only dress 46 players on game day. This concept has always been odd to me, especially with how many injuries can happen in an NFL game. And so, Corey, I think you have a good question, and I think other people are curious as to why this is true as well. 
But I think you answered the question within the question. Because there are injuries, you can't necessarily allow every team to play all of their guys. You're never going to have 53 healthy players across the board. And so you take it down to 46 active players, and that gives every team a little mini injured reserve list because no team is ever going to have 53 players that are ready to go every single week. Now, if you want to argue that you should be able to use your practice squad to have 53 healthy active players, all right, I can get behind that. But short of doing that, if you're going to keep everything else the same, you can't let every team play all 53 of their guys because injuries are such a prevalent part of the game and you can't have one team that just has more players than the other to go into the game. Now, whatever happens during the game happens during the game. But that's why you have 53 players on the roster and 48 that dress on game day. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus. And be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo where you can make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. The next one today comes from Skip, and this one was tough. Skip said, would you rather have Jarrett Patterson and Antonio Williams and your two third-round picks or Zach Moss and Devin Singletary? This was not easy, but here's what I'll say. In Moss and Singletary, I'm getting two serviceable NFL running backs, guys that can run, block, and catch. I have no idea what Jarrett Patterson is in the NFL. I have no idea what Antonio Williams is in the NFL. And if I have those additional two third-round picks, I'd probably invest at least one of them in a running back. And so... As surprising as it might sound, and I don't have great conviction in my choice, I'm picking Moss and Singletary. Next one comes from Charlie who says, First, I was hoping you could go over a few of the offensive line-specific traits that you look for and any tips that you may have for someone like me who's just getting started. Secondly, I hear you use the term landmarks a lot. Could you explain what you mean when you are talking about offensive linemen hitting their landmarks? And so, Charlie, let me answer the second question that you have, and then I'll go back to the first question because I'm going to reference landmarks in my response to the first question. So what do landmarks mean as it relates to offensive linemen? Two things. In the run game, when I'm talking about hitting landmarks, that's typically when I'm talking about pulling and climbing to the second level. And so when you get out into space or you climb to the second level, you need to get to a specific spot. And so that's what I'm referring to, hitting your landmark, getting to your spot when you're on the move, climbing to the second level, or pulling into space. 
Then when I talk about landmarks and pass protection, maybe set point is a better term. As an offensive lineman, when you get into your kick slide, it's important that you get proper depth and width. That way you can set up roadblocks up the arc to take away where the pass rusher wants to go. And so you need to be quick enough to get to your set points or your landmarks so that way you are in a position where you can frame blocks on the perimeter, stay square, and maintain the width of the pocket. Now, as for the offensive line-specific traits that I look at, I have 10. I'll tell you what they are, but I want to be careful here to not make this an offensive line scouting podcast because I could talk in depth about all 10 of these traits. And so I'll tell you what they are, and then if there's follow-up questions or if you guys want me to talk about scouting offensive linemen, I'll dig into every single one of these traits. But uh, the first one is balance, pass sets, competitive toughness, lateral mobility, length, football IQ, hand technique, power at the point of attack, and versatility. Those are the 10 traits that I examine offensive linemen through. The next one is Daniel. Daniel says, backup quarterback is so important. If Allen misses time, we need a competent backup. We're fortunate to have Mitch Trubisky. That said, the expectation for a backup, as you've stated previously, is to get you a 500 record. If a quarterback needy team came calling and offered something significant, let's say a pick of somewhere between rounds three and four for Mitch, and Cam Newton agreed to come and be our backup, would you take it? Obviously, a lot to unpack here given Cam's personality, but from a talent perspective, I'm not sure it would be a terrible move. All right, this is a good question. It's certainly a timely question. However, I am not parting with Mitchell Trubisky, especially for a third or a fourth round pick. You'd have to offer me at least a two for me to become interested. And I'll tell you what, Cam Newton as a backup quarterback doesn't really move the needle for me. I don't trust his arm. I don't trust his ability to throw the football. I love him as a runner, and that's great, and you can create some really tough packages to defend with him as a runner. But this offense works because Josh Allen can throw the ball. And I just don't trust him. I don't trust him at this point. And so I would decline this idea. The next one comes from Eric who says, please explain why most, if not all, NFL teams use a roster position on a long snapper. It seems like a skill that most people could do if they put in the work. So why not have someone from the roster trained for this? League rules protect the person. He wouldn't have to be big, but if size was important, there are plenty of guys as big or bigger, better athletes, and probably also very good at special teams beyond snapping. I was hoping they kept Bam Johnson, as coaches had said he had made big improvements in pass rushing, and he's really good on special teams. A.J. Epinesa would probably be very good at long snapping if the team had said at the end of last season that they wanted him to work on that over the break. And so I understand the question. But here's the thing. Specialization in a skill matters. And we are talking about football at its highest level. There is no margin for error when it comes to snapping. And I would not want to take A.J. Epinesa, who has a lot of work to do as a defensive end, and add into his regiment long snapping. I think that would be a disservice to what he does that matters to the football team. And you can extend that to any other position at any other player. It's just like why kickers don't also punt and punters don't also kick. Wouldn't you love to just have one guy that does both and you can save a roster spot there as well? The reason that you don't do that is because the specialization of the skill 
doesn't really allow you to master another skill to the level that it would be required to to do it well in the NFL. Go back to the 1960s. This is what happened. You had offensive linemen that were kickers, defensive ends that were punters. I mean, Cookie Gilchrist, one of the Bills running backs from the 1960s, he was also the team's kicker. Mac Yoho, who was a pass rusher for the Bills, also served as a punter. I mean, you saw this all the time in the 60s, and the NFL moved away from it, right? Because the specialization in the skill matters. These long snappers that are in the NFL, they're amazing at what they do. And it's a position where there's no margin for error. None. And so I just think that's the way it has to be, or else you're going to start having errant snaps, and you're going to botch field goals, and you're going to botch punts, and you're going to be in trouble. You need a guy that the only thing that they do is snap the football so that way you know that they have the reps and time on task to have the consistency necessary to execute football plays in the NFL at the highest level. All right, let's close it out today with my NFL draft prospects to watch this weekend with an eye towards the Buffalo Bills. And there is great college football on every single night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. There's tons of good football to watch. We're going to focus in on Saturday because this will become a tradition for us each Friday, and I want to keep the routine very, very consistent. And so when you're watching college football on Saturday and you're wondering which of these players could be a future Buffalo Bill draft pick, these are three guys that I think you should watch this weekend. And I'm going to pick players that I think fit the Bills at a position of need in a game that is a showcase game. I could give you dozens of names every single week, but... I'm going to try to pick three that really fit the need, the type of players that the Bills like, and a game where it's a good scouting showcase. So on Saturday, when you wake up, have a nice breakfast, hang out with your family, pet your dog, and then it's time to dial in to football. And to get things started at 11 a.m. Eastern time on the Draft Network's YouTube channel, you can find a brand new show that I am part of. It's called The Money Down. It's me, Kyle Krabs, and Chris Schubert, and it's a college football betting show. And so we are going to break down the biggest games, talk about the lines, the over-unders, all that type of stuff from 11 to 12 on the Draft Network's YouTube channel. I can't wait for it. I've been very successful betting on college football games, and I can't wait to share a lot of that information on the show. The production is going to be awesome, so don't miss it. Again, 11 Eastern time. Saturday, every single Saturday on the Draft Network's YouTube channel. All right, now for the actual games that you need to watch for the scouting purposes of the Buffalo Bills. At 12 p.m. on Fox, Penn State wide receiver Jahan Dotson against Wisconsin. Dotson is number five. He's five foot 11, 185 pounds, and he's everything that the Bills value at wide receiver. I think he's an Emmanuel Sanders clone. He wins down the field. He had four 60-plus yard receptions last year. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands, and he's a really good route runner, and he plays way bigger than his size. Really good punt returner. I mean, this guy is an explosive, big play threat. And so if you're looking for a player that can step in for Emmanuel Sanders next year, Dotson is a player that I love. Top 30 player on my board. I'm a big, big fan. And Wisconsin's a great showcase game for him because 
Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, is going to challenge you with press. He's going to challenge you with exotic coverage schemes. And he's going to make it challenging for these guys to get open. And so this is definitely a great showcase game for Jahan Dotson, wide receiver, Penn State, number five. And then at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, kick it over to ABC. Want you to watch Miami tight end Will Mallory, number 85, 6 foot 5, 245 pounds, going up against Alabama. Should be a really fun football game. And Mallory is a better tight end prospect than Brevin Jordan last year at Miami. And I know a lot of you guys really liked Jordan. Mallory's a better player. He hit over 20 miles an hour on the radar gun during practice this summer. And he's a guy that just is a natural receiving threat. Love how he challenges the middle of the field. Soft hands, good route runner, willing blocker. He's a type of tight end that is very much like Dawson Knox and Kahal Waring in terms of the way they're built and the athleticism. But Mallory is a much more polished catcher of the football and route runner. He's a guy that gives good effort as a blocker. He's not a great blocker, but he profiles as a day-two tight end that I think could be an NFL starter. And if things don't work out with Dawson Knox this year and the Bills need to go to the draft to pick a tight end to really find a new direction at the position, Will Mallory, tight end, Miami, number 85, 6'5", 245. Now he's going up against Alabama, and anytime you're playing Alabama, it's always a great showcase game. Defensively, the scheme is going to challenge you like an NFL team would. And, of course, they have great personnel. They've got a really good safety in Jordan Battle. That should be some great matchups between Mallory and Battle. And then a linebacker in Christian Harris that's really good as well. And Henry To'o To'o, who's another good linebacker that Alabama has. And so this is going to be a great game for Mallory to showcase what he can do. And then after that game, keep the channel right on ABC. Don't even have to turn the channel. Clemson versus Georgia. And the player I think you should watch for the Buffalo Bills is defensive tackle Tyler Davis. He plays for Clemson. He's number 13, six foot two, 300 pounds. And Tyler Davis is a guy that two years ago I thought he was going to be a budding star at the position. Had some injuries last year, didn't necessarily play to the level I think he can, but he's healthy and I'm looking for him to build off what I saw in 2019, which is a pretty consistent player in terms of run defense and pass rush. And the Bills are probably going to have several new defensive tackles next year that actually make the roster. And so I'd be looking at the draft as a place for the Bills to find some of these interior defensive linemen. And so Davis is a guy that has some explosiveness, has good power at the point of attack. One thing that I noticed last year is I didn't think he did well with his hands. I want to see him really show more refined hand usage and and win with hand placement more consistently. But there's a lot to like here in Tyler Davis, and as a day-two defensive tackle prospect, he represents a lot of value and upside, in my opinion. And then going up against Georgia is a great showcase for him because, you know, Georgia's going to have a bunch of really big, physical, talented interior offensive linemen. And so it's going to be a great test for the type of blockers he's going to have to beat at the next level. And so that's a great showcase game for Tyler Davis. Again, number 13 defensive tackle for the Clemson Tigers. So there you go. There's the first three players. Wide receiver Jahan Dotson, Penn State wide receiver. Tight end Will Mallory, uh, number 85 for Miami. And then Tyler Davis, defensive tackle for Clemson. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today and this week on the podcast. 
When we come back on Monday, I'm going to give you my game-by-game predictions for the Buffalo Bills, my NFL season predictions, and some superlatives for the Bills in the 2021 season. Tuesday, we're going to do herd mentality. And then Wednesday, it's the comprehensive primer on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Thursday is going to be our crossover discussion with Lockdown Steelers. And then Friday will be predictions, leftover thoughts, NFL draft prospects to watch. All the stuff that we do during a game week is happening next week. It's here, folks. So get ready. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy college football. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Take a second to rate, review, and share it. Hope you have a great weekend, and I certainly look forward to catching up with you again on Monday.